I would say that I don't know what your inbox looks like now, but I do. You're getting one of two things, aren't you? You're getting end-of-year appeals, or you're getting uh, best of 2023. Those two things are like, that's what everything's coming, right? Well, I'm, I'm not going to make an appeal this, this morning. Just, in fact, would like to say thank you for your generosity throughout 2023. The Lord has been very good to New Life Church, and I just want to say thank you. But that wasn't even part of the sermon. The part of the sermon is this, that I wanted to, um, I did want to give you like the best of. Here, this is like the, the coolest experience that I had in 2023. And I haven't, got, I haven't had a chance to share it with you from the front, and so I thought it would be uh, uh, of interest to you and encouragement. But as you may recall, as I've been reflecting, um, I remembered that I had a sabbatical this past year for a couple months in, uh, in the spring. And one of the things that we did is we went to Turkey. And uh, there was a lot that was really wonderful about that. But we were in uh, Izmir, which is modern-day Smyrna. And we were on the Seven Churches of Revelation tour, and we happened to be in Smyrna that day. And we heard about a famous uh, bishop or pastor from Smyrna who was martyred in uh, the first couple centuries. His name was Polycarp. He was a disciple of the Apostle John. And if you don't do this during the sermon, but if you really want to be encouraged as you like launch 2024, uh, read The Martyrdom of Polycarp. There's an account, the mar martyrdom of Polycarp. So we knew about this, and we thought, we've got to find this guy's church. We're in his hometown. Our guide we had just told somebody about it and said, there, it's only a couple blocks from here. If you just go down here and turn right, you'll find it. And we thought, that's great. We got the night free. We're going to go see the church of Polycarp. And so I'll just have to admit that we didn't really ask for directions. We simply overheard our guide tell somebody else the directions. And so we set off. Well, it was Marcia and I and one other woman that we just met at, uh, that evening. And we were off looking for Polycarp's church. And it didn't take us but a few blocks before we missed a turn. And then we are lost in Smyrna. And we're wandering around Smyrna and trying to figure out, where is this church? I, of course, being a man, didn't want to stop and ask for directions. Marcia and this other woman, of course, did. And so one thing led to another. We ended up stopping to ask for directions in English, in Turkey, at a French school. It's a foolproof plan. And so we stop at this, at this uh, French school, and we are at the gate, and this woman walks out. And I wasn't going to say anything because I didn't want to admit I was lost. But Marcia said, uh, do you speak English? And this woman in beautiful English said, well, yes, I do. And she said, or we said, we're looking for, um, we're looking for Polycarp's church. She said, well, there's only two churches 
And uh, one's big, one's little. I said, we're probably looking for the little one. And we're looking for the little one, and then uh, <laughs> uh, because we're looking for a church, she immediately says, are you Christians? Now, we're in Turkey, which that's not, uh, it's okay, it's just not good. And so we said yes, and the woman we're with, she's like all fired up. And she says, I mean, this is the, this is the truth, she said, have you asked Jesus into your heart? And, well, she stumbles and says, well, no, but maybe I should. And so, or I should, or I don't know, maybe I should do it again or something. I just stumbled, you know. And one thing led to another, and she said that uh, this is funny that I should meet you. And we're walking toward Polycarp's church. Because last night, um, I was... Listening, I, I was searching for music to listen to while I meditated. And I ran into this uh, song on, uh, this music on YouTube called Yeshua. And I didn't know what it meant. And I asked my friends, what, does, what is this? And they couldn't help me. And she said, last night, I began to pray that God would send me somebody to help me. And we kept talking, of course, and it turns out that she had a, 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 a spiritual background, not one that you would recognize at all, but she had, um, she had been part of a spiritual, uh, I don't know, group in India teaching spiritual practices like... Um, hypnotism, and uh, she, was, uh, she was into all kinds of things. I can't even say. But she, she told us that when she ran into this music, she really liked it. It had a blue energy. And I'm thinking, I don't know what is happening here. And she goes on to tell us about this India thing, and it's a dark energy there. And, and she continues her story, and she says, you know, I, th I, I think that in, we, we ask her, are, are you Christian? No, she, her, uh, I think her dad, was Christ, her dad was Christian and her mom was Muslim, I think, or maybe vice versa. Neither one practiced, so she wasn't. And she said, um, she said, I think in a previous life, I was uh, a disciple. And then in a different life, I was a nun. I was like, well, I don't know what to do with this. And about then we get to the, her bus stop. She says, my bus stop's over here, the church's over there, you guys go, and we'll, you know, uh, good luck. And so she took off, and we took off, and about a block later, she comes, and um, we hear this voice running, this person running behind us saying, wait, wait, wait. And she said, I, you're, you're lost. I can help you. I want to keep talking anyway. And so we kept talking about spiritual things all the way to this church. In fact, she was the one that found the church, rang the doorbell, and uh, you know, kind of made everything happen that night. Well, uh, we get to, we, get, we see the church and we're done. And she says, can we just go for coffee? Because I want to keep talking. 
So we go for, we, we said, no, we can't, because uh, we're still jet lagged, and we knew we better do our best to go to sleep. So why don't you come over to the hotel, and we'll sit in the lobby, and we'll talk. And so we were talking about things, and we just sat down, and she, you know, she had said like two or three times, I prayed the Lord would send me somebody to help me. And so I said, Yasmin, can, how can we help you? And she began to weep. And she, she said, I'm, I'm searching, of course. You figured that out by this story already, didn't you? She's searching, and I didn't know what to do. I mean, I'm a pastor, and nothing really prepared me for this kind of conversation. And so I just said, I, I know, I know we got to get to the Bible. So how about, how about if I read you from John chapter 1? So this is what I r- read to her. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. And in Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And I figured that's as close as I could get to this, all this energy stuff going on, right? So then verse 9 says, The true light which gives light to everyone has come into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but God. And I had forgotten that that last verse was in there, that the sort of the best of all invitation verses is right there. To as many as receive him, to, to those who believe in his name, he'll give the right to become the child of God. And it was clear to me that she had a lot of things back there, and so we didn't press her, but we prayed with her. And... Um, started looking for church to she could attend there and there were a couple of Protestant churches that we found online and didn't know much about them uh, and she said wait a minute I have one more question and she said I I have a um, I have this feeling that I have another name but I don't know it I <laughs> I said, you know what? Just this morning, we were at the church in uh, Thyatira, uh, you know, in Pergamum. And Pergamum, that ends, the, the story in Revelation ends with, it ends with this. It says, to the one who overcomes, I will give a white stone, and on that stone I'll write a new name, which nobody knows. I mean, I didn't have anything, right? I just read that this morning at this other place. I said, okay, I'll read that to her. No, I do have a name, and I don't need to know it right now. Okay, that's right. (laughs) And we kind of settled that, found the church, got her hooked up. And then she said, just one more thing, one more thing. And I already know that when she says one more thing, I'm in trouble, right? And she said, in this spiritist community that I was part of in India, we have what we call a soul family. And the soul family is for those who practice kind of the same things and who sort of believe the same kind of things. She said, do you have anything like that? (laughs) 
And I thought, uh, yeah, we do. We do. It's called a church. You were looking, you, you thought, you know, you knew what we were looking for, and we were looking for a church building, but the Bible doesn't teach that the church is a building. The Bible teaches the church is people, and the people are made into family. In fact, the verse I just read to you a moment ago said, if you believe, then it gives you the right to become a child of God. That puts you in the family. So yes, we do, and so we uh, found a different things, and um, a church and Marcia exchanged WhatsApp contacts with her, and we went our way and she went her way. And um, the next day, Marcia had two or three messages from her, and we told the rest of our Christian travel group about it. And um, now, almost every day, Marcia still gets WhatsApp messages from her, and almost every well, well, every week, really, they talk over WhatsApp. And this woman has since uh, given her life uh, to Christ and has been searching for these churches and is still struggling because it's not like here where you can just go to a church and it more or less is okay. It's just there's some different things there in Turkey. And so uh, her and, anyway, her and Marcia talk about it and uh, I would say it's, what, what did we do to make this happen? In fact, in fact, I need to tell you this. She recognized this. We're in this conversation. She recognized. She said, you know what? If you hadn't gotten lost, we'd have never met. That's what I contributed. <laughs> and then she said, if I hadn't gone to that uh, French school theater, she went to a movie that night, we'd have never met. And uh, I never, almost never go, maybe once a month. And she said, if I had left when the movie was over, we'd have never met because I'd have been long gone. But I just sat there, and I don't know why I sat there. And she said, I walked out when I walked out, and God must have wanted us to meet. And I would say pretty much he did. He pretty much is pursuing you. And she would be the first to say that now. I didn't figure this out. God found me. And my first thing, my, my first thought is to say, because I know, I know missionaries who've been in Turkey and have labored there for years and never had an experience like this. But my first thought is that you never know when God will have you be a disciple maker. But then my second thought is this, yes, you do know. You do know when he would have you be a disciple maker because he would have you be a disciple maker all the time, everywhere you go. So that when something like this happens, when you're on vacation or when you're in the grocery store or when you're uh, mowing your yard, you're on the mission of Christ. He wants every one of you to be a disciple maker every moment of every day. In fact, that's what the text is that I've chosen this morning. And I, and I chose it really unashamedly as a New Year's text. Uh, where, and it's Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. So if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn there. It's at the end of the first book of the New Testament. And it is, um, 
it really wraps up Jesus' life and gives us his last will and testament. And some of you are saying, it's Matthew, it's Matthew. Yeah, we'll come back to it, and we're going to do this again when we finish the book of Matthew. But I just couldn't wait, so you'll forgive me. But Matthew chapter 28, beginning in verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And I simply want to communicate this this morning. The point of your life is to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. The point of your life is to make disciples of Jesus Christ. If you wake up tomorrow in 2024, 2024 will be for you a year to be a disciple of Jesus and a year to be on mission making disciples of Jesus. And I say that because Christianity is about discipleship. Discipleship is about the authority of Jesus. See, this text happens immediately after the crucifixion and the resurrection. What I'm talking about this morning as far as being a disciple is a result of believing the gospel. You must believe the gospel to be a disciple of Jesus. If you believe that Jesus rose from the grave, it puts you in the seat of a disciple. What we're talking about today is not some extra level that you add to being a Christian. In other words, this is not a level for the more committed people. This is the regular kind of Christianity. In fact, if it's not the regular kind of Christianity, namely a disciple, then the Scripture has to modify it and and talk about being a carnal Christian or being a baby Christian rather than a disciple of Jesus. In other words, it has to modify it downward rather than the regular kind, which is to be a disciple of Jesus. To be a disciple is not for a special class. It's not for superstars. It's not for missionaries. It's not for pastors. It's for everybody. And you say, you're pushing too hard here, Pastor. I want you to look. Look at verse 17. Look, verse 17, it says, They worshipped, but some doubted. How many of you can doubt? Yeah, discipleship's for you, okay? That's, that's really the threshold, isn't it? You, if, if you come to faith in Christ and you believe you are a disciple, no matter how much you have your act together, They worshiped, but some doubted. And then Jesus says this. This is so interesting, isn't it? 
All authority in heaven and on earth is given to me. The basis of what he's telling us is that it is the authority that has been given to him by virtue of his birth, his life, his death, and his resurrection. That Jesus now commands everything in heaven and in earth. And it says, therefore. So, so what, right? Jesus has all authority. So what? Because Jesus has all authority, therefore, go and make disciples. The result of the authority of Jesus is His claim on you as a disciple maker. It's very easy for us to think of ourselves in a number of ways. I'm a church attender. I'm a Christian. But the way that he understands it, if you are claimed by Jesus, you are under his authority and you are a disciple. A disciple is simply a learner or a pupil. A disciple is not someone who has their act together. It's just a learner or a pupil. Somebody who's paying attention and learning. In fact, Luke chapter 6, verse 40 gives us a great definition of what a disciple looks like. Luke 6, 40 says, A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. So what is a disciple? A disciple is someone who by virtue of paying attention and learning and following becomes like his teacher, namely Jesus. When you are trained, you're going to become like Jesus. The learning that a disciple does is learning how Jesus would operate in your situation. Or to say it another way, the disciples unconditionally accept the authority of Jesus. Not simply by inwardly believing Him, but by outwardly obeying Him. It is the business of disciples of Jesus to be stamped and fashioned by Him. Normal Christianity is discipleship. Discipleship is not some program of the church. It's not participating in a Bible study. Discipleship is not something that's delegated to a committee. Remember when discipleship was talked about like it was something you could just sign up for. You want to be part of discipleship? Well, sure. You sign up. That's not how it works. Discipleship is something that every person does. In other words, every person must come under the authority of Jesus. That's what discipleship is about. It's about submitting to the authority of Jesus. And that's what Christianity is. And so that's a broad framework. That's discipleship. But let me say this more simply. You are a disciple. Jesus is speaking to uh, 
the 11 disciples here. And throughout the Gospels, you see the fact that when it talks about the disciples, it's not just talking about the 12. It's not just talking about the small band. It's talking about just a bunch. I mean, John chapter 6, several of the disciples left. They'd had enough of the hard sayings of Jesus. But he called them disciples. But now he's speaking to the 11 and giving them the commission there to make other disciples. In other words, this little band is not all there's going to be. There's going to be a bunch of disciples. And that, in a very simple word, is how you got here. Because there were some disciples who made disciples who made disciples, and it made it all, its way to, all the way to you. Well, how do you know if you are a disciple of Jesus? John chapter 13, verse 35, uh, tells us. In fact, it says everyone can know you're a disciple of Jesus in this one simple way, right? John 13, 35, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. Now, I, I, I just want to put that out there. If you have love one for another, the mark of a disciple is love, not knowledge. The mark of a disciple is the fact that you love other people. Not that you can fill in the blank and get the right answers on some quiz. The mark of a disciple is not the fact that you get up early for Bible study, but it's the fact that you love people. Love is the mark of a disciple. And that's important because what I don't want you to hear this morning is I don't want you to hear me laying it on thick. I don't want you to hear me telling you, you have to attain. You have to work harder. You have to do more. Because that's not at all. We're not talking about it. We're talking about the normal kind. And it's a misunderstanding to say, oh, he's, he's just asking us to do more. I'm not asking anybody to do more. I'm asking you to love other people. By this will all people know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. And so your identity of being a disciple of Jesus is what's at stake this morning. That, and that's really what I wanted to get to as we talked about 2024. Is like, how do you see yourself? Do you see yourself as a disciple of Jesus who brings everything under the authority of Christ? Because it's about authority, this discipleship. It's about the authority that Christ has in heaven and on earth to go and make disciples. What that means is that there is no compartmentalizing your faith. You don't get to be a, a a Christian or a disciple at church but not at home or at home but not at school you're a disciple of Jesus everywhere you go all the time you go there there's no compartmentalizing your sex life is under his control your marriage your job your free time your vacation your children even your hurts and your hang-ups are under his authority 
That's what it means to be a disciple. And so I just want to ask you, as you evaluate last year and you look forward to next year, is there a part of your life that is compartmentalized away from the authority of Jesus? Because a disciple adjusts their lifestyle to follow Christ. You might say, this sounds awfully demanding. You're getting close, I suppose. That's why we're making a major effort in January to pray. Because I'm not asking you to do more, I'm asking you to be different. And you and I, are, we're unable to bring all the areas of our life under the authority of Jesus without supernatural help. We need the Holy Spirit to help us. Because we can't do it by ourselves. So that's why we're having, part of the reason anyway, we're having the effort in January to pray. So that we all can talk to the Lord about what it is that needs to be adjusted in our own lives. Because ultimately, what it's going to come down to is, do you identify yourself as the disciple of Jesus? And I can talk about identification with this verse on really good ground, because he says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. What is baptizing? Baptizing is more than simply getting people wet. Baptizing is identifying people with Jesus. People are identified with Jesus when they're baptized. That's what the big deal is about baptism, is that it connects you to Jesus and His people. It's changing your identity. And so he says, go make disciples baptizing. If you don't self-identify as a disciple of Jesus, then your Christianity is incomplete. If this isn't on your mind, like how do I function under the authority of Jesus every moment of every day, you're doing something different than the Christianity described in the Bible. The way you think about yourself and the way you identify is really important. As you may or may not know, the Beavers played their bowl game on Friday, and the Ducks play their bowl game uh, tomorrow. And you can tell who the fans are, and you can tell the people that are really into it, can't you? You don't have to read game day signs or um, see if there's still some paint on their face to see who the real fan, fans are. True fans secure their position as a true fan by their language. You can tell by listening, can't you? Because you are really a true fan when you use the first-person plural pronouns when speaking about your team. 
Okay, some of you are like first person plural. Okay, we. We had a great game, didn't we? Or uh, I think we have a good chance. Or we got a couple great recruits in the transfer portal, whatever that is. If you're not a true fan, you're just a fan, you use other language. You use third-person language, like they played a pretty good game, or I think they have a good chance, or uh, the transfer portal is really ruining the game, (laughs) even if they got some great players. See, I, I listen for that kind of language about church. Maybe I shouldn't, but I do. Because it's not uncommon for someone to visit or find out that I'm a pastor, and they'll say something like, your church is really friendly. Your church. Or I liked your church and I want to try it again. But I can tell something's changed when they begin to say something like, I love our church. Or I think our church's emphasis on being a good neighbor is really important. While it may not be important if someone identifies with a college football team or any other thing really, Ultimately, what matters is whether we identify with Jesus, whether we perceive ourselves to be on his team or on a team of our own that we simply add him to our team. Are we the captain or is he the captain? And so what language do you use when you describe what it means for you to be a Christian? Because you can tell what people expect their Christianity to be like by the language they use. Because saying I'm a Christian may or may not mean very much. I could say I'm a Baptist. That doesn't necessarily mean a ton more to most people. But it doesn't, still doesn't tell what it means to you. I'm a churchgoer. I'm a serious churchgoer, I mean... I go to adult Bible class, or I serve in New Life Kids, or I'm turning over a new leaf this year. I'm going to tithe. Maybe I'm going to read my Bible every day and pray, get out of my way. Like, I'm really into this. And while all of those are fine, they merely describe activities, don't they? They fall short of what Jesus considers to be a normal Christian life which is uh, an identification with Jesus. While those activities may be well and good, they're incomplete because they don't identify you with Jesus. There are three levels of change, James Clear says in Atomic Habits. He said, outcome change, process change, and identity change. Outcome change, process change, and identity change. What we're talking about here today is identity change. We're working uh, to pray more as a church. So we have the C42 prayer endeavor where the church is outcome change is to pray a thousand hours in the month of January. That's the outcome. We'd be happy to hit that mark. 
But to do that, it's going to require a process change, isn't it? Because I can't really do a thousand hours. It's going to take a few of us doing it. A lot of us doing it. It's going to require that some of us go to the Sunday Hub and sign up to pray and then figure out a process by which we're going to make that happen. Whether we get up at a different time or whether we put the coffee pot on so that we have something to do it with or so that we find a place the night before that's set up with our Bible there and ready to go. We make a plan. We change the process. And if we do that, we can get the outcome. But really, the process and the outcome will only find lasting change if it changes our identity. So rather than prayer just being the first thing the church does for the year, prayer will be the first thing I do all the time. That's the identity change that I'm a person that really, really does need Jesus. And so I really, really do need to pray because I identify myself as a disciple of Jesus. Well, that's, that's the first part of it, really, disciple of Jesus. The second part of it is you are a disciple maker. You have to be a disciple first. You can't make something you're not. More is, more is caught than taught on this, for sure. But the command is to make disciples. The Great Commission, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you, and uh, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. There's one command, it's make disciples. How do you do it? You do it by going, by baptizing, and by teaching by going, baptizing, and teaching. It would be like I said to you, going to Subway, bring me a sandwich, heaping it with meat and piling on banana peppers. All right? There's really only one command buried in there. It isn't go to Subway. It's bring me a sandwich. Right? How are you going to do that? You're, you're going to have to go. Okay, you're, you're going to have to heap it with meat and you're going to have to get a pile of banana peppers. Same thing with the Great Commission. One command, make disciples. How? By going, by baptizing, and by teaching to obey. Now that first one, going, is the one that we, we typically dismiss this and give it to missionaries. Going, and we put a map of the world up and see where they're going. But it isn't a command to go. It's, it's really a way of saying, as you are going, make disciples. That would be a really easy translation of this, and an accurate one. It's much more pedestrian than become a missionary. It's simply, as you're going, make disciples. As you're going to the grocery store, make disciples. As you're going to work, make disciples. As you're in your car with your kids, make disciples. As you fix a meal in the kitchen, make disciples. As a matter of course, wherever you are, whatever you are doing, make disciples. 
that's part of why we continue to remind you to sign up for Bless Every Home and pray for your neighbors because home is where you go from and where you come back to. You're always going in and out with those people. And so you could write this Great Commission really simply and say, as you go across the street, make disciples. The main thing that you should notice about this, this going word is that it is not a coming word. You are n- we are not saying, as they come, make disciples. The church in North America for 40 years has expected people to come to church to be discipled. Jesus has no such illusion, and neither should we, that our commission is to go and not wait for them to drop by church in hopes that they might accidentally become a disciple. So, if all of life, as you're going, in the creases and crevices, is discipleship. Let me, let me just illustrate this by saying that this stage is the, the process of discipleship. I'm going to give you sort of a visual of how this will work for you every day. Say, so, because this is the closest thing we have to like a cross, we'll say that this is a cross. Okay? And there are people, a lot of people in your life, a lot of your neighbors, haven't come to the cross yet. They haven't come to Jesus. And so they're over here and they're um, they're wandering. They don't know up from down spiritually. And then there are those over here who are, you know, been here all their life. They've been believers for 70 years. They know the, they've memorized the entire Bible. They're good. Okay. What the call of a disciple maker is, is to take people wherever you find them on this line and move them one step over. If you're doing that, you are making disciples. So if you find so so that's why there, it's an artificial separation, isn't it? To say, well, this person's not yet a Christian. I can't make them a disciple because they're not yet a Christian. Yes, you can. You can just help them move one step over, and you have you have been part of making that person a disciple of Christ. Because really now they're only one step away, and boom, they're in. And what do they need? They need somebody to help them move one more step over. And maybe that's somebody that invites them to a life group. Maybe that's somebody who sits down and does one-to-one Bible reading with them. Maybe it is any number of things. But all you're doing is moving people toward Jesus. You're moving people closer to being a fully formed disciple. That's why you can do it as you go. You can do it with anybody you run into. You can make disciples with anybody you are around. And so do you see yourself as a disciple maker? Do you identify as someone who makes disciples of Jesus? 
Or do you identify as someone for whom that's optional? Okay, if you identify that way, I'm just going to say that's a problem. Because this is the last will and testament of Jesus himself. And so let me just, again, push a little more. Are you a disciple maker when you're at church? In other words, do you come in the morning with the prayer, Lord, help me move someone closer to Jesus today. Use me at church today to make a difference. Are you a disciple maker at Life Group? Are you there for the food? Are you a disciple maker on vacation? Are you a disciple maker around the dinner table? Do you have people in your life that are there simply because you've said, I am a disciple maker of Jesus and I love you? Because that's all it is. See, you think about this whole spectrum and you're saying, Oh man, I don't I'm not very good like telling the whole you know pitch for them to believe in Jesus. You know what? Nobody said anything about that. They'll know you're a disciple if you love one another. You just come here and love them and move them one step over and then love them again here. And you this person over here, you love them too. That's the call, isn't it? To be a disciple of Jesus is a disciple is a call to love people. So, I hope that the organizing question in your life in 2024 is this. What does it look like for me to be a disciple of Jesus today? Every morning, waking up, asking that question. What does it look like for me to bring my whole life under the authority of Jesus today? And then, how can I help this person or these people that are on my calendar today become disciples of Jesus? That's really the question. So some of this, I'm not asking anybody to change anything except the way that they think about themselves in their dependence on the Lord to love other people. That's really the change, if there is a change here. It's my identity change and that works itself out in loving other people. And I, I want to leave you with this, and just in case you're, you're guilt-ridden because of this message. I don't intend that. I don't want that. I want you to love Jesus with your whole heart and soul. And um, I want this to be good news to you because it is good news. You know this is good news, right? You're invited to be a disciple maker, and then Jesus tells you, and behold, I am with you always even to the end of the age. You want good news? As you go through life as a disciple maker, Jesus himself, the risen Jesus himself, is with you to help you. When you don't know what to say, when you don't know how to love, when you don't know how to organize your life, he's there. All you need to do is ask for his help. Because it's what he wants done in the world. And he's bound to help you do it. Let me pray for us. Oh, Heavenly Father, thank you for 
this church. Thank you for this collection of disciples. I pray that you would help us day in and day out to think of ourselves differently because we think of you as differently. Would you draw us into a relationship with you that we can't help but organize our life around? So, Father, thank you for uh, the words of Jesus. Thank you for his death, his resurrection, his life now in uh, your right hand, at your right hand, interceding for us. Would you help us now to be his disciples and to make other disciples? In 2024, I pray in Jesus' name, amen.